And this is Dan. Together we pastor Hope Culture Church in Elgin, Illinois. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Good morning. My name is Dan. I'm the lead pastor here along with Abigail, and I'm excited for the series we've been in. We have just started a series on the book of Exodus. If you want to go ahead and flip there, we'll be there in just a minute. It's the second book in your Bible, so it's towards the beginning, or you can scroll there on your phone either way. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 3, um, and we started it last week. And the reason we prayerfully chose the book of Exodus is because there's so much in there that we learn about who God is and who we are and how he wants to lead us and direct us and how we as his people can be in his presence. The whole second part of the book of Exodus, after they leave Egypt and all the plagues and the wilderness and all of that, is all about how do God's people have a God, a holy God, dwell with them. And I think we all want that. We want intimacy with God. We want to be close to him. We want to be led by him. So many of us are like, I don't know what's next. I don't know where God's leading me or what I'm doing or what I'm called to do. And I'm just trying to figure this all out. And that's why we're studying the book of Exodus, because I believe God wants to lead each in every one of us. So last week we kicked it off. We started in chapter one and got halfway through chapter two. And we talked about these three things. We serve a God who offers salvation. He offers to rescue us and redeem us. And we talked about how we see that in this chapter when Moses is born and how he's coming to deliver the people and how ultimately we see that in Jesus. And then we talked about how God is always working behind the scenes. I know this was comforting for many of us to remember, hey, even when I don't see it, God's still working in my life. That we can remember what it says in the book of Romans, that God is working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean all things are good. We all face hard things and hard times, but we can trust that if it's not good, it's not over. That God hasn't finished it yet. He's working behind the scenes. In the, part, the third part, we talked about how God uses the weak, the powerless, and the unexpected. The weak, the powerless, and the unexpected. Moses is a little bit of the unexpected. In a lot of ways, he makes sense. But in other ways, he's, he's got speech impediments and fear, and he's murdered somebody. And he's not necessarily the person we'd pick to have lead the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. And we're going to talk about that a little bit this week and in and, and the beginning of Moses' call. And we're going to continue it into next week. Um, but I wonder what that's like for each one of us. Have we sensed that, that call from God to come near and then also that call from God to, to be sent out. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. So God, we come before you, ask that you'd speak to us through your word, that this would be more than just talking with application, but that it would be a, a message from you through your spirit, by your word, to us, your people, that you'd speak to us, God, and that we'd leave different than we came in with a revelation of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Pray for me, guys. You hear my voice a little bit? Some of you, yeah, those of you who listen to me all the time, you're like, I can hear it a little bit. We're, it's going to be great. Don't worry. I'm not sick. It's just, just a little raspy, a little deeper than normal. Um, all right, so we picked up, last week it ended right as Moses is picked up by Pharaoh's daughter, and then we know he goes back and is, is weaned and uh, nursed by his own mother for years, which is so cool. He has this foundation that's laid. And then the end of chapter two kind of gives this really quick summary. It's like, it's like in a movie, you see his origin story in the beginning, and there's, they spend a little bit of time on that, and then all of a sudden it fast forwards a bunch of years, and you're like, wait, what happened? That's what the end of chapter two is like. It's like the beginning of it, they give you a little scene. He goes out, and it says, among his people. And it's talking about the, the, the Hebrews, the Israelites, the Jews, which is interesting because 
at this point, Moses is still having a little bit of an identity crisis. He doesn't know exactly who he is yet. Am I an Egyptian? Am I a Jew? I'm growing up in, in Pharaoh's household, but that's not where I was born. And he's having this back and forth moment. And he goes out to his people and sees that they're hard at work. You know, we talked about last week how Pharaoh is, is putting them in slavery and working them very hard. And he sees one of the Egyptians beating a fellow Hebrew. Well, it says that he strikes him and then hides him in the sand. That's the, the Hebrew wording is that he strikes him. And we know that he, he killed him. And so he stands up for his brother by murdering an Egyptian. Not necessarily the best thing. Good intentions, gone bad. Well, the next day he goes back out again. And this time he sees two different people fighting. This time it's, it's two Hebrews, two of his own people. And he says, why are you beating up your friend? Or why are you beating up your companion? This time, instead of identifying with them, he kind of separates himself from them. He's like, why, why would you guys fight against each other? And they're like, who made you judge? What are you going to do? Are you going to kill us like you killed that guy yesterday? And then all of a sudden, Moses realizes, people know that I killed somebody. He has this like awakening moment where he's like, that's not good. And so he begins the journey of being on the run, and Pharaoh finds out, and, and Pharaoh wants to kill him. And so Moses runs out of the country. He's afraid. The word is out. And it's like, of course the word is out. You saved a guy yesterday. He knows who you are. Like you didn't, there was a witness, clearly the guy that didn't die. And so Moses is on the run and he goes out to Midian. He sits by a well, which is like a normal archetype in the Bible. It's a reoccurring pattern that, that somebody goes to a well and then usually they get married. And that's exactly what happens to Moses. Moses goes to the well and meets some of these people that are out there, and it gets invited into their household and ends up marrying one of the daughters, Zipporah, becomes his wife, and he has a son. So that's the summary of chapter two. That's the fast-forward moment in the movie to get to the part where it begins to slow down and the plot begins to unfold in Exodus. Years passed. We know from Acts chapter seven, it's been 40 years. This is what it says. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame in a bush. That's the part we're about to get to Many of you know the story. We maybe learned it in Sunday school if you grew up in church, or maybe you've seen the Prince of Egypt, or maybe you're just aware of Moses' story and you know this is part of it. I love this quote from D.L. Moody. He says, Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody in the palace, 40 years, recognize who I am, see who I am. Then he spent 40 years learning he was a nobody. He's out in Midian wondering, who am I? What, what is this? Is this my calling? Is this my purpose? Is, is this who I am? And then he spent 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. I love that. I think that's sometimes our journey. We, we see ourselves as better than we actually are. And then, then we have a revelation of our own brokenness and sinfulness. And we're like, God can't use me. But then God chooses to use the weak, the unexpected, the ones who are counted out. So that's where we are. Chapter 3 of Exodus. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. If you're kind of following along like during the week and reading Exodus and studying it with us, no, no worries if you're not and you're just coming on Sunday mornings. We love that too. But if you're following along, you're going to notice that was a different name than was used in chapter 2. Jethro has a different name in chapter 2. And, and what we understand is that he has more than one name. And Jethro is actually like a title. It's a celebrity name. It's like he's the high priest. And so that's who that is, and that's why it's different. He's the priest in Midian. He led his flock, this is Moses, uh, to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. This is going to be an important mountain. This is going to be a mountain that's 
revisited throughout the book. Verse two, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet not consumed. The bush was burning, yet not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside. Everybody say, turn aside. I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. I love this because normally if I just bring this up in my memory and like retell the story, it's like Moses sees it and then God is like, Moses, Moses, and Moses goes over. But before God actually calls Moses, Moses is drawn to what is happening. It says he turns aside. And God notices that. Look at the next verse. When the Lord saw that he turned aside, the same word, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. The first thing I wanted us just to reflect on as we work our way through the Exodus narrative is, do we turn aside when we see God doing something? Do we notice it? Are we willing to pause? He's in the middle of taking care of the flock. He's leading them. He's passing by. And out of the corner of his eye, he he sees something that catches his attention. And he turns aside. Are we willing to pause what we're going through? Our job, our our busyness, our life, the cares, the things that that we're worried about to turn aside to see what God's doing. Maybe before we have a full understanding of what's going on in the moment, are we willing to to have a holy curiosity and say, God, what are you up to? I know, is is something going on over there or over here or or in this area? Are Are you drawing me over? And so he turned aside and it says, when God saw him turn aside, he called him. It makes me wonder, one of those questions that you'll never have answered, but what if Moses would have just kept walking? Like, what, what if he just would have been like, that's weird. Well, and just like, you know, but he, he turned aside because he's like, what is going on? There's, there was something that like caught his attention that the bush is burning but not consumed. And I think that's part of, I think Sunday mornings are a part of that turning aside for us, where you pause your week and pause the normal tending of your flock and going about your business just to say, God, what are you up to? What are you speaking to me? We do it daily in our own time with the Lord, and both of those are unique and different and important. I think in those moments of our time with the Lord and our time in community, we we hear God say things and move in ways that we wouldn't otherwise, that if we wouldn't pause and turn aside, we would just miss it. We'd miss his voice. We'd miss what's next. We'd miss the calling. We'd miss the identity. We'd miss all that's happening in this moment. It reminds me, too, of this passage in the Old Testament where it says the Lord's eyes are are roaming the earth looking whose hearts are turned towards him. It's like God is looking for those, the types who will turn aside, who will say, God, what are you doing? I want to connect with you. And Moses is then called by God. God sees it and says, Moses, Moses. And Moses responds, here I am. Here I am. If, you're, if you've read the Bible, you, you notice that this is a, a regular response. Abraham says it in Genesis. Here I am. Jacob says it in Genesis. Samuel says it multiple times. He's a, he's a young boy and he hears a voice in the night. And at first he, he just goes and he's like, what is it? And and then he's like, I didn't call you. And he goes back and it happens over and over. And he, he, he suddenly just goes, here I am, Lord. Speak to me. 
Isaiah does the same thing. He has this vision, this encounter from God where he sees God's holiness and his response, God says, I'm looking for somebody to send and he says, here I am, Lord, send me. It's one thing to turn aside and spend some time with God. It's another thing to give him your availability. It's another thing to take that next step and say, God, I wanna turn aside, I wanna meet with you, I wanna have an encounter with you, I want your spirit to minister to me and I am also available to be used by you. What are you going to speak to me in this moment? What are you going to speak to me in the community gathering? What are you going to speak to me at small group? What are you going to speak to me in my own quiet time with you? Here I am. Our here I am with God, I think of it as like punching in, like clocking in at work. I don't know if you have a job where you swipe the card or you punch in or you just show up, your salary, you can get there whenever you need to be or you make your own hours or whatever it is. But many of us at least at some point had a job where we had to clock in. And I think there's an initial clocking in where you're like, God, I'm available to be used by you. Here I am. But I think it's supposed to also be a daily thing. A daily check-in with the Lord. Here I am. What do you have for me today? What are you up to today? Where, where's, where's a moment where I'm able to turn aside today and, and see you or where I'm called to do something intentional for you or a conversation that you're setting up ahead of time that I'm going to miss if I don't pause and say, here I am. It's a daily, it's a disposition of availability. It's a posture of being willing to be used by God. It's Abigail and I use the phrase that our yes is on the table. That's not with everybody, but it is with God. God, you already know our yes is on the table. I don't know what you're gonna ask or when you're gonna ask it or what it's gonna look like, but I just want you to know God and I wanna say it for my own soul and my own heart that, that I'm available. Here I am. Big things, little things, and here's the thing. Sometimes we only think about it in the big things. We're worried about putting our yes on the table because we're like, well, what if he calls me to go with Ben and now I have to go to Indonesia? You're like, I don't want to do that. Well, maybe you should. Maybe that's what God's calling you to do. But maybe it's just a little thing today. Maybe it's speaking to that coworker who's going through something, who's, who's being worked on by the Holy Spirit, and you don't know it, and they don't know it, but God's up, up to something. He's saying, hey, are you available? Are you going to notice that? Do you have your yes on the table? So Moses responds, he says, here am I. And then in verse five, the angel of the Lord, who many believe to be a pre-incarnate Jesus, says, do not come near. That's interesting, right? At first, it's like he calls his name Moses, Moses, which is kind of implying like come closer. But then he's like, well, don't come too close. Don't, don't come too quickly. And he gives the reason why. He says, do not come here, take off your sandals, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. There's a sacred moment here on the side of the mountain. This is a holy place. The place isn't just naturally holy. It's not this special spot on the side of the mountain. I mean, it kind of becomes that over time, but it's, it's a place where Moses and God are meeting. It's a place where there's the tangible presence of God, the manifest presence of God where he's revealing himself in a different way. And because of that, there's, there's a, a level of holiness Moses has never encountered. And he's saying, hey, don't approach flippantly. Don't just, don't just waltz into God's presence without thinking. I think sometimes we lose sight of the holiness of God. I think, and I... If you've listened to me preach over the course of time, over months or, or years, you, you know that I, I'm not one to be critical. I, I like to call out the good. I like to call out the gold. But I think sometimes we need to point out what, 
what needs to change. And I think sometimes we lose sight of the holiness of God. That, that we, we love to talk about grace and we love to talk about love and, and come into his presence and all those things. But I think sometimes we, just, we need to remind ourselves of who we're approaching, of whose, whose presence we're entering into. Do not come near, take your sandals off, for this is holy ground. This is the moment where Moses is receiving his call. He's gonna be sent to go free the people. And I think this is something that happens in all of us is that as we experience the call of God, we're also confronted with the holiness of God. That when we're called, we're confronted with his holiness. That we hopefully get a new picture of who he is. See, God is morally perfect and holy. And I think, I think when we think of holiness, sometimes we think of just that moral perfection, but it's even more than that. He's, he's creator and he's all, and he's the sustainer of everything. And he's majestic and powerful. I, I can't come up with a perfect analogy of God's holiness, but if I were to borrow one that I've heard, it's, it's that he's like the sun. And that the sun gives life and light, and we need it to live and sustain all things, but it's also dangerous. You, you can only get so close to it. Like, if you were to get too close to the sun, it would burn you up. That, that at different levels of proximity, it's more and more dangerous, and it's like that with God, and we actually see later in the book of Exodus when God says, this is how I'm going to dwell with my people. He builds a tabernacle with different layers, and you require different levels of ritual purification to get close to God. That God's holy, and he's loving, but that, that holiness is dangerous. That we need a reverence, an awe, a respect for who he is, when I think about the holiness of God, there's a few different passages of scripture that, that come up. And we mentioned Isaiah earlier because Isaiah is one of those people who puts his yes on the table and he says, here I am. But right before he does that, he has an encounter, a vision of the holiness of God. This is Isaiah chapter six. It's not on the screen, but you can flip there or just listen as I read it. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, that's a type of angel. Each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces and two they covered their feet and with two they were flying and they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. These angels are singing back and forth, declaring the holiness of God and when something's repeated three times in scripture, it's emphasizing the perfection of that. God is perfectly holy. He's the definition of holy. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Verse 5 says, Woe to me, I cry. That's Isaiah. He, he's like, Woe to me, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He's not even physically in the presence of God. He's in a vision of God and he gets there and in this vision there's smoke and there's angels and they're singing holy, holy, holy and the, the room is just shaking and, and he has this realization that he is ruined. Woe is me. He's like, I, I'm, I'm dead. 
There is no way I'm getting out of this. He's experiencing and encountering the holiness of God, and he's a prophet. If anybody could have claimed holiness in that time period, it would have been Isaiah. And not only is he a prophet, he uses his mouth for God. Like, that's the best thing he has to offer God, is I'm going to listen and I'm going to say it. And he goes, I'm a man of unclean lips. He goes, the, the very thing I have to offer God is not even good in this presence. The best thing about me, the thing that God is actually using is nothing when I actually experience and see who God is. And then the, the vision continues. An angel comes with a burning coal and touches his lips and purifies him and makes him clean. Later, the end, the other, the other end of the, the scriptures in Revelation, we see a similar encounter, right? This time it's not Isaiah, it's John. And it's, it's Revelation chapter four and John's just gone through and talked about all of these different churches and the last ones, the Laodicean church. And he's like, you're neither hot nor cold. You're not really excited about me, but you're also not, not doing horrible. And he goes, I, I almost wish you just didn't even know me because if you knew me, you wouldn't be in the middle. If you, if you saw who God was, he's like, if you had a revelation, you would have to be hot. After you know, Jesus speaks to the Laodicean church in, in Revelation 3 and 4, John has this encounter. And I'll flip there, and it's, it's very similar to Isaiah's. He's like, goes up into heaven in this vision, and there's all of this going on where he sees these jewels like cornelian and jasper, and it's beautiful, and it's there's emerald shadow type stuff above, and it's, it's hard to picture. And he sees these same angelic beings with wings covering and shouting to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever, the 24 elders, there's these elders encircling the throne and they're casting their crowns before him, bowing down in worship, singing, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. That's John. John, the one whom Jesus loved, his friend, one of the disciples, having that same moment that Isaiah had where he's in awe of who God is, his holiness, his power. I think it's good for us to pause and remember who we're worshiping, whose presence we're turning aside and seeing, the one who's calling us close and also sending us out. Because it changes it when we remember who he is. It, cha it changes it. I mean, what happens is you, you suddenly don't just see yourself as pretty good or a above average or better than the person next to you, you suddenly see yourself in, in relation to God and the gap is huge. It's easy to compare yourselves amongst yourselves. Most people would say, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm better than that person at work or I'm better than my neighbor or, you know, God's probably not that mad. He's, he's holy. He's perfect. He's not mad, but he can't have that in his presence. And so that's why we're going to talk about that more as we go through Exodus, is how do we as people dwell with a perfect, holy God? But Moses has this moment where he's called close, and he realizes the holiness of God, and, and it's in this moment that he has his, his call. God says, 
verse 6, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham and Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. He hid his face. I love that it says, I am the God. Usually when God lets himself be known in the Old Testament, he says the same thing, but usually father is plural. It's usually fathers. I'm the God of your fathers, Jacob and you know Abraham and all of them. This time it's singular. And I don't know for sure why that is, but I like to think that it's because Moses doesn't know who his dad is. And that Moses has a little bit of identity stuff going on where he's like, am I Egyptian? Am I an Israelite? How am I supposed to be? How am I supposed to act? Where do I fit in? And in this moment, God is revealing both God's identity and Moses' identity. You're, I'm the God of your father. You belong with me. We go together. Moses hid his face. He's the God of generations. That he's, he's doing things and we like to think in days and weeks and God moves in years and seasons and generations. And I, I like to remind myself that and like what we're doing here makes an impact here and now, but it's also hopefully setting things up if the Lord should re- not return that, that it will change things in the future for our kids and their kids. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land. I love that. Take a minute, and I highlighted a few of these words, and just think about who, who God is and who he's reve- revealing himself to be to Moses in this moment. He's like, I, I, I'm the God of your father, and I've seen the misery of my people, I've heard them crying out and I'm concerned that we, we serve a God who's holy and other and majestic yet still cares about our needs, yet still cares about broken, sinful people who've missed the mark, the standard of his holiness because it says for all have missed that mark, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, yet God sees us. That same God who has angels 24-7 singing his holiness on repeat forever with people casting their crowns down, that God hears your prayers and loves you. He sees you. This kind of bookends this part of the story, and that's a normal thing in Scripture where actually at the end of chapter 2, it uses the same language. It, it talks about um, how he saw their pain and they were crying out. And it, it's the end of Moses' narrative where there's a little bit of like, hey, this is what's going on. The people of Israel are crying out. And this is God saying, I heard that. And I'm responding to it. That the, the prayers and cries of my people haven't gone unanswered. They maybe don't see me moving like we talked about last week. He's moving behind the scenes, but, but I hear them. And Moses, part of my response is, is you. You know, because God could just do whatever. He could call any play, any audible, and just be like, guys, you're free. I'm going to make it so they can't, they can't stop you. You just walk out right now. There'll be like a force field and they can't do anything. Or, you know, he could do anything, but, but he calls Moses, gives him a revelation of who he is, 
and says, I'm going to use you. I've heard the cry of my people. He said, but I will be with you and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Right here, he's like, this is a sign for you, Moses. Mark this place. You're gonna be back here with, with our people, my people, worshiping me on this mountain. And then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and they say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say? He's like, God, let's just be practical. Like, what? I, I don't really know who you are. I grew up in Pharaoh's household and I heard stories as a kid from my mom when I was growing up, but, but I don't fully know who you are. Like, do you have a name or what do I tell him? Who sent me? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is the first time the name Yahweh shows up in scripture. Scholars call it the tetragrammaton. So if you want to sound really smart, you can say that later this week in conversation. It's like, we learned about the tetragrammaton in uh, church. Well, all that really means is that uh, grammatically there's four letters. There are no vowels. It's, it's we translate it as Y-H-W-H. And we, we insert the vowels and we make it Yahweh. Some people say it should be Jehovah. But it's this, this moment where God's revealing his name personally to Moses and to his people but it's an interesting name, right? Because it's like, I am what I am, or it could even be, I will be what I will be. I like to think that that's a good reminder for us, that he's not the I am who you want me to be. I am who you need me to be. He's the I am who I am. He is who he is. Because I think we like to make God in our image. We like to make sure that he fits in our bubble, that he'll do what we want him to do and the way we want him to do it and the way that makes sense to us because we think we know best and we've put ourselves in position of God. God, you're just, you're just my genie and you'll do what I need you to do. And God is saying, no, I am who I am. And I am holy. And you, you, you form to me, not me to you. You change based on who I am. I'm gonna do what's consistent with me, my nature, my character. And you can be upset about it, but it's who I am. God responds to Moses, I am who I am. It also points to how he's unchanging. The, the nature of the, the Hebrew structure of his name just points to how he's consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as he's been faithful in our life and in our church and in our family and in the scriptures, we can trust that he'll continue to be faithful, that he's the same God who heard their cries and he hears our cries, that he sees us, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you, has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, this time it's plural. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout generations. This becomes a major theme in the book. It's a turning point. This is a huge part of the story where God is revealing himself, but the way he reveals himself is only a little bit. He's like, you wanna know who I am? Because in scripture, a name is always about who the person is in their identity. You know, Jacob's the heel grabber, he's the deceiver, and everybody has these names and God changes names. And you're no longer Abram, you're Abraham. And there's so much to a name and God says, my name reveals who I am. You wanna know who I am? Me. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. It's his way of saying, you want to know who I am? Watch me. 
be with me. Spend time with me. I'm going to reveal my nature and character in your midst. It's, it's an invitation to see who God is relationally. God's revealing himself to us through the scripture. And next week, we're going to kind of pick up here and talk about how we're each individually called like Moses. But that usually comes with some doubts. Because I don't know about you, but when, when God says, go do this, I'm like, yes, my yes is on the table, but also like, am I the right person for that job? Are you sure? I have some doubts. I have some insecurities. And Moses has the same thing, and we're going to talk about that. But as we kind of looked at the scriptures today, I hope, you know, the Spirit of God spoke things to you individually. But kind of for us corporately, I want to invite us to, one, turn aside. Spend time with God. Spend time with him corporately in church. Spend time alone with him. Spend time in community with him. Notice what he's doing and say, God, is that you? And turn your attention towards it. Turn your affections toward him. Turn aside. Say, here I am. God, I'm willing to be used by you. Big things, little things. I'm not gonna say no because, because I see who you are. I see your holiness. Who am I to say no to you? You know me better than I know myself so fully and, and you see my brokenness and my sinfulness and if you're gonna ask me to do that, I'm gonna do it. I invite you to turn aside. I also invite you to see his holiness, to see him for who he is, to reflect on his majesty and how Jesus is like that coal that touches Isaiah's lips who purifies us so that we can come into his presence. That when Jesus was on the cross, the veil was torn, the very veil that, that we will talk about later in the book of Exodus, that final veil into the God's presence. And it says we can now boldly come into his presence. That same God with lightning and thunder and jewels and angels and elders surrounding him saying, holy, 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 we can boldly come to him because of Jesus. Not because of who we are, despite who we are, but because of who Jesus is. Remember who he is, holy. And the third thing I want us to reflect on is he draws us near in order to send us out. He draws us near in relationship and in love, but then he always has an assignment for us. It's never just for us. I mean, it's for you, and he wants a one-on-one -on -one relationship with you, but there's always something he then sends you out to do. It's, it's over and over throughout Scripture, and we even see here now in this Moses. Moses, Moses, come here. I'm going to send you out. You're going to go rescue my people so that they can worship me. God wants to lead you by fire, by his presence, by his spirit. Will you turn aside? Will you remember his holiness and will you follow the call? God, we love you. God, we pray that your spirit would speak to us as you have been already through your word. But even now in this moment of prayer, would you speak to us individually, corporately, whatever you have? God, what is, it, what is for me to do today, this week? What's the thing in your nature that I need to remember? Would I turn my affection and attention towards you, God? Would I turn aside? Would you reveal yourself to me more and more as I spend time with you? That you are the, the great I am, that you are Yahweh, that you will be what you will be. And as I learn more about who you are, would I be more enamored by you? And, and, and would my yes be all the more available to be sent out to do whatever you ask for me today? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, maybe you've never 
turned aside the first time, that you've been around and you're like, there's something happening clearly in this room, like the worship is not normal. These people really love God and you feel and sense something happening in your spirit as you sit here. I wanna invite you to have that, that first encounter with God. Because here's the thing, he is holy. And because of that, we're all separated from him. That our sin has separated us from him eternally, that we can't be with God in heaven. Yet he loves us so much that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him won't die, but have eternal life. Jesus comes to purify us so that we can be in the presence of God. And if you've never made that decision to receive that forgiveness, that purification from Jesus, it's as simple as believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that he is Lord. It's simply saying, God, I see my brokenness and I see that Jesus is the only solution. That I've tried other things, but God, the only, the only way to a holy God is through Jesus. So I ask for your forgiveness. I ask for your grace. I ask that you'd fill me with your spirit and make me brand new and send me out with purpose and with mission. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear about what God is doing in your life. To share your story or a prayer request, simply hit contact on our website. You can also support the ministry of Hope Culture Church by visiting hopeculturechurch.com. We hope you have a great week.